Yeah, have you all seen that movie in Netflix yet? I think it's uh, uh, you, you got you got your Catalonians, uh, you got your Spaniards. Have you also noticed? I was telling my wife this that uh, one of the few people outside of NASCAR world, uh, the types of people that have a have a mullet, I've noticed there's something that occasionally you see a Spanish woman wearing that looks like a mullet. I don't want to I don't want to call it a mullet, but there's some mulleteering going on there. So you got <laughs> you got the you got the Catalans down there. You got your yep. uh, you got your your uh, your classic Madrid Spaniards, and then and then up there you've got the the Basques. That's what they're called. And uh, there's this film I think that it's a Basque folklore in Netflix called Elementari or something about this blacksmith and this demon. Have y'all seen that? No, I have not. Mm. Well, there's this mm. great there's this great bit in it. So this is a spoiler. Uh, so oh, no. just fast forward. It'll probably take me about ten minutes to go over this. So fast forward. About 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> See, <laughs> good get to the good part. <laughs> but basically, one of the ways that you can uh, defend yourself against demons is that if you have a whole bunch of little things in front of a demon, they compulsively have to count it. And so, like, that's used a couple of times to, like, you know, defend yourself from demons that you just put a they bunch of beans in front of them. Yeah, they do that with vampires too. Sometimes mm. where they're like, if you throw some, was it rice in front of them? They have exactly. to pick it all up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, I was just writing one of our, as Matt Ray likes to call it, picks. One of my picks for this episode. <laughs> and I was, I was noticing I have this compulsive habit of is I have to, I have to italicize title things correctly, right? Mm. Which, which I, I remember. It's probably because I spent a lot of time. I'm thinking when I was a senior in high school and maybe a freshman in college, like learning proper punctuation and, and, uh, you know, quoting versus italicizing. And I still don't really understand when you can use semicolons and dashes in the right sentence, but uh, I haven't read enough Victorian literature to know that. But I do have to say, I've, I've forgotten a lot of that stuff, or I should say not that I've forgotten. I know there's some formal rules around the differences between, uh, dashes and you know don't get me started on your in dash and your m dash m dash just oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not i'm not into it that you go to you go to medium and you want to type in a hyphen and it converts it to an m dash and you're like don't tell me how to fucking live my life right <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you go and you put you try to put two spaces after the period oh. and they're like no that was that was ten years ago. We're done with that, man. Oh, man. Too, anyways, uh, anyways, I don't know that. Yeah. There, I I know there's some some nuanced rules about when you use a uh, parentheses versus dashes, and then se- what comes after a semicolon, I think, is a full sentence versus a colon, which doesn't have to be a full sentence. But I don't know. I got italicized. So, so, so your pick is going to be like you know the the AP style guide or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the, the Funk and Wagnall <laughs> Chicago AP or something. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, the, there's, the there's a lot of stuff in that Funkin' Wagnall. I think I have a bone to pick with this this whole <laughs> this whole brevity business. I don't. I don't, I think that's very like 20th century. That that comes from a different time. I don't. I don't know about that. Well, luckily, uh, Wikipedia probably drove them out of business, so you don't have to worry about picking a bone with them. <laughs> that's right. They're down there on the soup lines, just trying to trying to. <laughs> Eek by. So, 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 what I want to know in this this Spanish movie you're watching, was there a lot of magenta hair? Oh, <laughs> there was not magenta hair. Now, I think there would have been. Uh, well, I don't want to presume to know what the Basques are up to. I mean, I think Spaniards you see magenta hair, but uh, it happens in I think after the Napoleonic Wars. Oh, okay. So, so it's, it's in the it's in the mid to late 1800s. 
it's hard to place. It's 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 definitely like more technologically advanced as an era than you would think a film about demons mm. would be with the blacksmith. But um, no, I don't think there was. The only magenta hair is if someone got their head blown off, which which doesn't happen. <laughs> so great that I'm laughing at that. <laughs> I'm a horrible person. Well, uh, you know, you you watch you watch a lot of like uh, Matt Groening cartoons, so I think that's to be expected. You, you watch that new one they have in Netflix? Is that worth my time, uh, Matt Ray? Enchanted. I haven't watched it yet. Mm. Is it Enchanted or something like that? I think I think if if there's if there's a, a a show like that and you hear nothing about it for this long, that means it's a bad show. Like it's it's mm. not worth your time. There's too much stuff to watch. Yeah, that's true. We're in a golden age, right? Yes. Golden age of ignoring gold. Uh, speaking of golden ages, well, one, it's nice to finally be back on the podcast. It's it's nice that you two uh, picked up my slack for a while. I was I don't know what I was doing, <laughs> <laughs> just enjoying life. But I, according according to uh, our, our friend Ben Thompson, it's highly possible that the golden age of open source and and uh, venture capitalists is over. Ah. Right? Now, yes. now y'all were talking about this a few episodes ago. You know, you got uh, you got these, you got these people who are like, "Hey, I'd like to make some money off of open source." <laughs> like, and, too late, too bad. And 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 then and then I got I got old diapers dot com buster over here, like you know, stealing my lunch money from me. And and mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just it's just evolved further, right? Like, I think I think the 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 largest sort, of, other than more commentary going on, uh, if 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 I remember. Red Hat said they weren't going to include Mongo in RHEL anymore, right? Yeah. Meaning, yeah. I guess, effectively, I mean, you know, ne- never mind. Well, it's, 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 uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Insulting is the wrong word, but it's sort of like uh, a bummer for people who, who fancy themselves in the open source world to be sort of like rejected from the, the formal open source thing there. But two, well, it also, it also means, yeah. I, I mean, it also means that, um, I mean, everyone likes spread and ubiquity, right? So you get the big charts uh, going on there. Yeah. But it yeah, also yeah. means that uh, you won't that many people won't just have Mongo ready to go, right? Like it, they, they'll right. have to install it as uh, I don't know what the kids do nowadays. They distribute ver- verse, ver- through uh, like images of containers or they, RPMs. They use curl bash. Well, yeah. curl bash, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've actually like got some some personal experience like dealing with distros and trying to get your software into them, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a, a two-edged sword, um, you know. Because on the one hand, you definitely want the, you want the reach, right? If if somebody's like, I want to use Mongo, and then they say, you know, yum install Mongo, and it's just there, that's really cool, right? Because they didn't have to go to your website and download it. Uh, but the 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 downside to that. Is you know Red Hat Eight is going to be around for you know until uh, I guess twenty thirty, <laughs> and uh, I know Whoa. right uh, when you say it like that you're like oh right and then they'll put it on extended life support and you know and then finally it'll get the DNR but uh, they 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 want to freeze you on your major version for ten years right and mm. so when when I went through this conversation with Red Hat and and some of the other distros I was like. You know what? It was ten years ago. Like this whole category of software didn't exist, and we've had seven releases, seven major releases in the last ten years. So yeah. it's kind of hard to want to commit yourself to that. Um, and so you know, there there were negotiations about you know, well, maybe we could put you in some sort of you know auxiliary repos where you push your your code there. And and kind of at the end of the day, 
things fall apart because users are going to want new software and the distros, their guarantee to people is stability, right? Mm. And unfortunately, sometimes those things are mutually exclusive. Yeah. Wait, what's, what's, what's y'all's feel on, uh, on LTS stuff? I mean, 10 years, that's a long time. Is that, right. I mean, is that, is that, is that, I mean, I ask this in the most ambiguous way possible, but it, like, is that cool to have LTS stuff or, or is that, is that weird? Well, well, I mean, Kote, do you want to go work on Performance Manager 3.0? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is, there is, every now and then I do daydream about the familiarity of just like, you know, I think, I think I, I worked there for like four years, five years. Right. Yeah, man, you just you just know your way around stuff. It's it's yeah, it's yeah. nice. It's so, relaxing. So, so so yeah. So so listeners, Kote uh, uh, may have had a, a long, exciting career, but before that, he was a developer. <laughs> hey, <Hey-o. laughs> <laughs> oh, and 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 we worked on a product that I guess might still be in you know LTS support for some distros. Mm. And you know uh, what's happened in the meantime, Kote? Well, you you were at Red Monk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were at Dell. Yeah, uh, you 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 know you were at Pivotal. You were at four, I got, five, I got one. two kids. I've gone. I, I'm, I'm on my third dog. <laughs> right, and, and 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 meanwhile, meanwhile, what's happening in the Java world? Right, they've done like five major releases of JREs and JDKs and stuff, and that software would still be in somebody's LTS. Yeah, right. Yeah. Using using like Swing one point one or you know, uh, so. Like when you start talking about LTS software, like I don't know if you really want to be in there. Man, I was I, mean, I was talking with someone very recently <laughs> uh, who uh, this was a couple years ago, but they were working on an application that ran. Not only did it run Swing, but it used Java Web Start, and and this was nice. in the last like four or so years. And I found out. I mean, it, it was like a, a trading desk application, so um, it made more sense than not sense, right? Because of whatever but like still it was like man, it's it's like it's like the old funny thing right like that's a name i haven't heard in a long time <laughs> right but go back uh, to the uh lts things though i do think like maybe it's there's a function of like how many packages like get bundled with it because you can see like if you just wanted linux just a basic linux operating system to embed in like like an atm or something that like you know it's going to be out there for a long time it's going to be hard to touch um, and you just want the operating system to, you know, the bare minimum, right? I think if you, when you start from that premise, it's like, okay, it makes sense. But now every package sure. that you add to, uh, to your, to your system, right? It just, yeah, it does seem to get exponentially yeah. harder, right? So there's, so there is maybe like, you know, something like MongoDB or, you know, kind of stuff you're talking about, Mary, it's like, it just probably doesn't fit, right? If you, like, if you can't touch this for 10 years, you probably shouldn't be using this software, you know, it's sort of like yeah. some of those decisions go hand in hand. That, you know, that sort of brings up the thing, uh, you know, that people like Ben Thompson and other clever people talk about is like, so now, so now let's consider what people are really selling here, right? So, I mean, I mean, to, to consolidate a whole bunch of stuff, it's right. You got MongoDB, it's open source, all of a sudden AWS basically, uh, I don't know what the technical term from this is, but like API copies it kind of like with, um, What's the what's the Android thing? I mean, you just sort of like implement APIs of uh, of, of something else, and you call it Document DB because it's a document database, and and then there and then you got Hawaiian shirt guys like, hey, it's fully compatible with Mongo, and the Mongo people are like, hey, how about me? And so like they you know they they feel like their business is being taken from them. Uh, I guess, and you could also have a um, uh, from another Hawaiian shirt angle, like you know rainbows and flip flops sort of attitude, where like 
if Amazon is implementing this thing, as they figure out how to improve it, they are not going to contribute it back to the source code, which was like our whole thing in the get-go, is that uh, we want to force people, or I should say, we want to invite people who make improvements upon our open source code to give it back to the community so we all, like, you know, can live a happy life. Uh, so you got, you, got, you got that going on. And then, and then I, I guess... You know, this this leads to the question from the business side of like, what are people really selling? And this is a long layup, like just my little beef with this kind of analysis. It's like there's a great chart uh, that that he uses, and I think this come this pattern comes up over and over again. And we're even kind of hitting on it with the LTS thing, right? Like, what is someone really selling if they have LTS? And uh, you got you got the music industry. And it's like, oh, they used to make all this money selling CDs, and when they stopped selling CDs, they realized they were selling CDs and they make less money, right? So. It's just ephemeral idea of like maybe they're not selling music, they're selling CDs, which I think is as great an analogy of like, you know, I'm not a pizza company anymore, I'm a software company, and yet I give you pizza. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I think, and at one, I think it's sort of like, no, they're selling IP, and you're confusing like the medium with the product. Well, and they're, and, they're selling access to IP. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I mean, so I. And this is this is where things get like uh, delightfully philosophic. Is like, I mean, software is IP, at least the way we think mm-hmm. of it. In the same way that, like, if I write a book or we record a podcast, like that's IP. And if I if I have a book and I sell that book, I'm selling IP. I mean, it. I'm kind of like, right. and it has to. Be, it could be an audio book. It could be uh, a printed book. It could be a PDF. It could be you know a robot of me reciting it on demand or something. But basically, whatever medium it comes to you through, I'm selling you IP. I'm selling you that stuff that I did. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, that's where things are interesting with software is like, well, uh, there's three types of software. You got free software, never mind if it's open. You got closed software you got to pay for. And then you've got software as a service, which you also have to pay for usually. Anyways. Uh, but that, you know, that whole idea of like, uh, you know, I'm a logistics company, not a package delivery company, or I'm a software company, not a pizza company, or I'm a company that's selling plastic discs instead of music. Like that's a a fun little game to play, but it does get to the thing as you were talking about, like if you're selling long-term support, like, I guess that's a huge part of what you're selling (laughs) is that annoyance of 10 years later maintaining it, which, which is a different, like. I get very confused when valuing like software versus the support around it versus like running it as a service. Like it's, it's, uh, it's very odd, but I guess it does make tangible. Like if you're selling long-term support, then that's something to be valued on its own. And I guess, I guess companies can carry it on their balance books differently. We don't really know what like maintenance and support looks like in public cloud stuff yet. And unless I, right. But I also, I often think like a lot of this though is, when people kind of go from the company perspective first, like what's the business model of the company? Mm. And like, and sometimes like think that thinking is what confuses it because if you just flip it around and just say, the only thing that ultimately matters is that the person that is buying it, right. Has a reason in their mind that they're going to pay you. Mm. So if we go back in time and we just say, let's just say the beginning of open source, I'm just going to use MySQL as one is there that, you know, like say around 2000, people really felt the need to, you know, buy a license and get supports and identification at that time, right? Yeah, so it was very right. easy to sell that, and people really understood it. Now times have changed, right? So people have maybe gotten to the point where like they don't see as much value in that. So now, 
the more obvious point to your, you know, is, and I think this is, you know, one of the things we talked about before when Adam Jacobs like write up is like, you know, the easiest way today is just to sell them it as a service because people kind of intrinsically get the like, oh, this is just great. I just don't have to take care of all of this. Someone else will right. do it. Right. So, so I think when you start and it's kind of the same thing with music, it's like, it doesn't really matter. It's like, can I easily get the music I want to listen to as many places as I want? So if you start from that perspective, I think, you know, you don't have to kind of like answer every question. The customer will ultimately answer it for you, right? Like I know why yeah. I want to buy it. And then I think if we kind of go, and I think, you know, because I, I know we've talked about this a bunch, but I was trying to think about like going to like, like what is the potential solution? So kind of Ben Thompson kind of, you know, he kind of alludes to like, well, this age of VC and open source is over. And it's like, I, you know, I would kind of go back to him and say, well, it's kind of never existed, right? Open source was never the reason people were going to pay you. So this like, it never actually <laughs> happened, right? It was like, that was just a go-to-market adoption technique. But they're right, always, right. every company had to answer that question, why someone's going to pay you, for themselves yeah. different ways, right? So now we would go to the point, like, if we kind of go forward and we say, okay, if we look at the, the current landscape of cloud, right? It's really, you have AWS with this giant lead, Google, Microsoft second, and then kind of like, you know, the rest of the people, you know, behind it. It's like, is there a place, is there like a marketplace of open source software as a service? Like, is that idea kind of sitting out there? So imagine if you're AWS, like, so all these other cloud providers are trying to match AWS feature for feature. And we've talked about how hard that is. It's like, is there a place where like, you know, almost like an app store in the case of like Apple, but go the other way and say like, is there a provider that would say, Hey, what if I just built all the cloud kind of basic infrastructure, like identity management, customer acquisition, right? And then you as an open source company, instead of you building your own service, why don't you come here and offer it through me, right? And we just right, agree right. on some split, like 80-20, just like Apple, right? Because I, was, you know, my experience with the App Store is like, you know, sometimes people say, you know, the Apple tax is too much, it's 30%, right? But then you think the other way, it's like, well, this is actually pretty great, right? The fact that like I can sell all this stuff to people. I don't have to do anything. And I almost wonder if this is like where it needs to go. It's like instead of all these open source companies kind of fighting amongst themselves and offering their own services, is there is there a place for like, hey, we should all go to this other neutral cloud provider that isn't going to compete with us. It's just going to do all this kind of heavy lifting, take 20% or some other negotiated split. And this is where we start to like actually put our software because that's how we want people to use it. Like, yeah. is that I mean become like the next place where to go i i think that is unfortunate that would be nice if if there was you know the one neutral place where where you can go to you know hey we all go to neutral cloud and you know it's it's this uh this nice SaaS you know hosting company that we can all come to but the reality is a lot more complicated right you've got amazon who's you know the the uh the gorilla that eats other uh baby gorillas um <laughs> and then you've got you know you've got microsoft coming up close and and google and, and and alibaba and each of them has a marketplace and then each of them has you know that partnerships with providers you know i i mean i will use chef and as as an example amazon hosts a you know uh we chef has a partnership with amazon at, with a uh, hosted managed offering of our service. You know, it shows up in your AWS bill. Um, we do revenue splits with Amazon, you know, share the engineering. And, you know, what we get, what Chef gets out of that is access to all of Amazon's customers. And uh, we don't, get, but we, we don't get the names of the customers. We just get a nice check. Um, <laughs> right. And then on the Microsoft side of things, we have almost the same partnership with Microsoft now, um, but we have more hands-on and it's more managed offering. So if you told me, hey, there's a neutral cloud offering out there, well, 
we are already you know friends you know partners with the two biggest you know games in town um by the way, Chef also has their own managed offering that sits on, uh, you know, it doesn't have all of the, the same stuff as, as the AWS and, and, and Azure offerings, but that also sits on Amazon. So it's mm. like you, you know, and, and then, of course, we're selling on-prem software. So it would be nice, uh, you know, to have that purity of delivery. I mean, the, the original Chef business model was, you know, all SaaS, pay with a credit card, right? Mm. I remember the, that. The I remember those briefings. Right? That was great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then you know the reality was day one of the launching the SaaS offering, uh, which was on Rackspace. Um, you know, day one, enterprises showed up and demanded it on prem. So <laughs> sure. now we have uh-huh. this this model where you know there's on prem, there's on prem in the cloud, there's managed hosted, there's partner hosted, and you know, and then the hybrids of you know we will sell, we will manage it in your data center for you. So. Sure, it'd be you know if I'm launching today, maybe I retry the SaaS only, but it's it's complicated. <laughs> well, no, I, I agree with you, and I don't want to like pretend like this existed. And I always think to myself like you know it's like just where we are in this point of time. It's like so much stuff is still be, like infrastructure software in general, like all of this stuff is still being figured out. But if so, like say go you know kind of going back, say like okay, so say you're the cloud vendor and you're like the fourth or fifth or sixth position, right? And and so. Yeah any of them right yeah and i think you know pick the one that you 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 want to you like or hate whatever for whatever reason and it's like an idea i guess i guess this is a thought is sort of like looking ahead and saying okay well we know containers are here we know all this stuff is starting to get more solidified how this kind of a cloud native architecture will work um and to your point like i i'm with you too man i've definitely worked with many customers and helping bring partners on board and and um where i guess i come from though is like it's always a very manual thing there's lots of conversations right it's like you got to do, deal with the split and the support and I, and i just wonder like in a few years uh and kind of the SaaS kind of model like much like apple like you don't have to talk to anybody at apple to like build an app, right? They sort of have, you know, like here are the tools, this is what you do, you submit it, and generally it works. And I understand that's the apps are a lot simpler, but you know, in my mind, I just wonder like in three or four years, like there's the CNCF foundation, but like, you know, whatever we'll call it, like neutral cloud, like is this thing, is the time gonna be, I guess, more right? We're like, yeah, instead, because there's all these people that love to create open source software that really for the most part, they don't. You know, they're kind of replicating customer demand and go to market and all that kind of stuff. But it's not necessarily, you know, the true strength of that. If you got to a point where it's like, I want to build some infrastructure software and I'm going to be real specific. You don't have to talk to me. Here's how you do it. Right. You download this toolkit. You pass these tests. I put it up there and I give you the split. Um is that something that sort of like breaks this thing a little bit more open? Because otherwise you kind of get into the situation where even with Amazon and Microsoft, as much as they want to do partnerships, right? There's always the like, are they going to replicate what I'm doing, right? Is there like some kind of natural tension that exists? So I don't know. I just kind of like, you know, instead of just like looking backwards to saying, you know, will the time be right for like, you know, I like your phrase there, neutral cloud to exist uh, in a few years. And is there somebody willing to take it on? But like if you're like an Oracle, an IBM, uh, maybe like a Rackspace and some others, like it may be an interesting like solution for them to at least consider, right? Like a different way to take on, you know, the behemoth yeah. of AWS. But 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 I mean, I think OpenStack tried to do it. Um, you know, there's always these federated marketplaces that show up and it's just like, you have to go to the customers where they are, 
Right? Yeah. And 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 you know, if you can if you can do a SaaS and, and get the volume to be independent SaaS, right? That'd mm-hmm. be great. But if if I'm launching, you know, an open source salesforce.com today, uh, you know, like uh, you know maybe that's my startup and i'm saying you know oh it's too complicated i've got this the simple thing the first place i'll probably launch is on aws as you know right. we'll try to manage it ourselves and if they try to knock us off we'll like try to partner with them right but then you so this is where i think oracle and ibm like jump to mind is like specific you know like if you're just like running the strategy group you just want to like you know blue blue sky think it through it's like okay what do they have if you talk to them both right they'll say like our major goal is to make sure that our current customers stay using oracle or ibm or you know any large vendor there right and it's like okay that makes sense so one value proposition could be that, hey guys, we're, we have these relationships with these customers and we wanna, not only are we gonna give you access to the latest and greatest software, it's gonna be the software that is built by these open source communities that's operationalized and ready for you, right? And that would, if you will, allow them to, you know, not necessarily have to replicate as much stuff um, to compete with Amazon. So it's just like, I don't, I mean, either that or it's like you're going to try to go toe to toe, right? You're going to try to do like feature for feature and that's going to be um, an interesting thing. So I don't know. I just think those vendors jump to mind as like potentially having like up uh, the possibility of doing that, right? Even if ultimately it's, you know, um, maybe not the, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it would be viable, but it seems interesting to me. It seems just because it offers a different, you know, kind of a different value proposition to their customers. Mm. All right. Well, give me some VC and and, uh, and a project. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We just need uh, like about seven hundred million dollars, guys. That's it. See, there's, there's pricing and software nowadays. It's just a big problem. It's a problem. <laughs> just like you remember. You remember back in the '90s when Microsoft had it all figured out. You just like you want the software, you give me the money. Done. They did. Yep. Yeah. It, they was, it was very straightforward. And now you got to figure out like uh, I got this closed source thing or. I'm going to pay someone to run this for me, but I'm not buying software or I'm buying some long-term support or am I buying the ability for this to get patched? And then and then if you're a buyer, there's almost like this, uh, I don't know, you've almost got this mindless rapaciousness where you're just like, so could I not pay you for that software, right? Like exactly. we all agree this software is valuable. Otherwise, I wouldn't want it to like run my core business but it's right. not valuable in the sense that I want to give you money for it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> your business model is broken. Yeah, yeah. I and won't then be giving you money. And then in the yeah. back of everyone's head, they're sort of like, uh, like I'd like to use Chef, and I understand it costs money to write that. So can I not give them money? And then the software will be totally <laughs> cool, right? Like, uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So, so clearly you read Adam's stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but it's it's just like I don't I I don't know an analogy off the top of my head, but like it is. Uh, I there must be other parts of life that aren't software where it, the same dynamic exists, and I there's that like I don't think it's a tragedy of the comments. It's like a tragedy of like dumb buyers. It's not even dumb. It's just like. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't no, know the no, no, exactly is out for their own self interest. No, no, no. Right? But it, it's it's just it's that's why it's not dumb. I don't know. It, it would be it'd be a fun thing to study like uh, pricing and software because it it would be it would be kind of like figuring out what <laughs> Kubernetes does. The longer you spin on it, the more confused you would fun. get. <laughs> yeah, fun for listeners of our show. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know. Although, no matter if you're working on closed or open source software. Where, where it's running, there's always code, and probably you're not going to be just like uh, you know using FTP. You should use SFTP, I understand, instead of FTP. Yes. But you don't want to be FTPing files around. But uh, but uh, Brandon, what, what's what's the deal? What should people be doing when they're worrying about uh, what do they call it source code? 
That's right. Well, we have a brand new sponsor here, Plastic SEM. And did you know that former developer Michael Cote once famously said, there's no version control other than GitHub. But it turns out there are indeed enterprise alternatives that provide new features where Git and the Git gang may fall behind. Plastic SEM is a full stack version control with repo management, branch explorer, and on-prem and cloud setups. You name it. At the core sits a merge machine capable of diffing and merging any branch or file syntactically and semantically. But here is the big news. Plastic SCM MergeBots is our proposal to automate the last mile of the DevOps cycle. MergeBots monitor and pull branch development status, code reviews, issue tracking. You set the conditions to trigger MergeBots to launch the build, run test, and CI tools. Once finished, they will notify team members where required, in Slack or even by updating the same status fields that triggered them. Merge bots are capable of automating almost 30% of previous manual merges. And when conflicts detect, are detected, it can automate up to 80% of the per file merges with its semantic merge power. Plastic SEM is used worldwide by companies like Delphi Technologies, Santander Bank, Vive, Raytheon, NASA, and NASA. Merge bots are scalable, reliable, consistent, and allow teams to develop secure, resilient, modern code bases that are shipped successfully and constantly. And current evangelist Michael Cote now preaches they are indeed alternatives to Git and the Git gang for DevOps. And MergeBots seem like a solid, nifty one to me. So if you, like Cote, would like to try it, visit PlasticSCM slash SDT. Again, that's PlasticSCM slash SDT to find out more and to get some free sassy t-shirts. Also, make sure to check out Cote's interview this week in our software-defined interviews with uh, Pablo Santos, where they actually talk a whole bunch about version control, and uh, I learned a few things myself. I actually learned what uh, semantic uh, <laughs> uh, verging actually means, which for those of you who don't know, uh, like me, it just means it will analyze the code, find all your methods and functions, and uh, figure out if those has changed for you. So we really appreciate Plastic SCM being a sponsor, and definitely go check them out, and of course, Tell them your friends at Software Defined Talk sent you. Hmm. I got to find this evangelist character, Michael Cote. Yeah, I don't know. Sounds like a great guy. Well, there's always plenty of t shirts to be had. You get a drawer full of t shirts. I I didn't realize there was a shirt involved. I got to check that out. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, also this week, big, uh, I didn't even think about it. Big news there's a new logo at Slack. Now, now I've I've heard it looks like ducks smelling each other's butts. (laughs) Or I think the best review the best review was done by uh, by current podcaster that's all in caps Brandon Wichard. Old logo is fine, new logo is fine, everything's fine. <laughs> well, well, I think Twitter, I'm paraphrasing. Had a field day on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when when it showed up on my phone, I was like, oh, okay, that, that's fine. And then, uh, you know, apparently it wasn't fine for the internet. Uh, the 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 ducks that that was that mm. was nice. Yeah. I, I saw um, artful genitals. Uh, that was one. Um, <laughs> said you know uh, a squinty swastika. Is that, is, yeah. Are there enough fingers <laughs> on both hands to get a tattoo that says artful genitals? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to bring your toes into this one. Kote. Okay. Um, well, that would be artful. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, I don't 
you know, it's it's probably fine. But yeah, I did but, have. Uh, I have to say, I have tremendous sympathy for anyone that has to oh, update yeah. a logo. It's just like because you know when you hit publish on the blog post, uh, and you know, and it goes out. It's I don't know. I was trying to think. I know Airbnb kind of had like a little mini disaster with their new oh, logo yeah, a few yeah. years ago. Um, I can't think of someone when someone everyone was like, yeah, this is better. You know what I mean? And it's like, uh, but I do think. You know, in the end, it all comes back to investment bankers. As a, a friend of mine, you know, posted on Twitter, you know, he just said like, "This is probably all a part of them going public, right?" And it makes total sense, especially oh, yeah, if yeah. we want to get into the the PowerPoint minutia, because the old Lego uh, does have some real issues because it has those eleven different colors in the backgrounds, and anyone that has to live in PowerPoint just knows like, man, this mm. is not going to go well. Like, and if you're updating, you know, your brand and uh, all the new creative art and all the iBankers are going to be out, or maybe they're not going to be out pitching your stuff because we can talk about they're going to do they're something different going public. Slack channel. Uh, that like, yeah, you, you do want a simple, uh, just simple four colors, you know, looks good in white or black, but I don't know. I, it makes me wonder though, that the fact that, uh, when they, when they post all the blogs, cause they, not only do they have a post, but the agency they worked with has a post and talk about, they go mm-hmm. into like great deal of minutia about how they came up with it. And it's like, I don't know. Do you just, do you just try to like release it and not say anything? Cause then it feels like you're kind of hiding something. But then if you, no. if you come out and you really try to explain it, but then, then it, it feels even worse. It's like, you, you know, they, you're giving all these reasons and people are well, like, no, I, I'll, and it, just my, my final thought is just simple. It's like, it's like everything in life. It's like, oh, I don't want to change. So a bunch of people are going to complain. Mm. So yeah, that, so that's, that, 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 that's what's going to happen. I mean, people, people are going to complain. Twitter's going to snark, but, uh, as long as they don't get defensive about it, you know, and put out a blog post, like, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, butt ducks, uh, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> the guys, the I did feel for the social media team at Slack. They were working overtime yesterday. They were trying, I mean, because they were, they were trying to take it on the chin. They were trying to be funny about it. But I just, you could see them in the office just like, about se- seven hours into it. You'd be like, I hate all, yeah, I, like, I, I, I hate, hate you humanity. I hate everyone. You know, you become like a, like a, a the crusty support engineer. I hate everyone. No one ever talked to me again. Yeah. And you, you got to go update all your slides. Think, think of, think of the poor sales engineers who are just out there. Trying to trying to make a buck, and now they got to yeah. update their slides. And then you got this you got this guy over here who's using Google Slides, and then you got PowerPoint, and this guy over here's got Keynote. There's probably oh, yeah. at least one LibreOffice user or something, right? <laughs> well, you know what also happened is like I'm sure because it was such a, a big update that they shipped out a new PowerPoint template for somebody, and oh, then of oh, course yeah. everyone tried the old like uh, apply new template, which mm. which this is a feature I believe has never worked ever in the history of time never. you've never been able to like apply a template to an existing powerpoint yeah, presentation yeah. and be like oh that's perfect i don't need to make any changes yeah. so well, you know, uh, as, i feel, as, I as feel my, for all those people as my friend uh mason's dad barry used to say there's he was a very big car nut he would say there's a special place in hell for tow truck drivers he's very upset about them and i think i think there is there's a special place in in hell for for the uh you know that feature you're saying apply template and then also paste with formatting Whoever's in charge of those two features, they're yeah. n- not doing it. Especially, I think front of the line is paced with formatting. No one ever wants that. It's always terrible. Don't want that. Yep. Take it out. Um, but I was the other the other real slack news there is the fact that they're going to go public using what this direct listing. But yeah, the- yeah, I was I was excited. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I was excited for this episode is like one of you can probably explain what that is to me because I have this basic understanding of it. I remember I read. My favorite uh, financial columnist, Matt Levine, who writes the wonderfully titled column, Money Stuff, which I think encapsulates the whole, his whole tone of snarkiness. 
Uh, and it basically sounds like you don't hire iBankers to go sell big chunks to institutional investors at first, and instead you just sort of like yeah, sell so it directly? That's, uh, yeah, so there's kind of two things I think stand out here. One is uh, in the financials, it says as of October 2018, Slack had roughly $900 million in cash. That in itself is, nice. I don't know, just mind-blowing. So I mean, I, I only have things... like $500 million, so kudos right. to them. <laughs> but uh, I think these things go hand-in-hand. Hand. So so what, they're, what that equates out to is it just says that Slack, in this case, does not need to go public to raise money. Most of the time... You're at what you're in the act of going public. You're trying to, you know, issue new stock and essentially get new capital into the company. So maybe you want to like raise two hundred million dollars for more sales and marketing is is usually along the lines. And so the roadshow, right, is really a sales show. It's the iBankers going around and selling everybody on your company and why they should essentially give you two hundred million dollars for some fraction of the company. So in this case. Slack has so much money that they don't really need to raise any money. But the problem they have is that people probably that own the stock want to sell it for a variety of reasons. And so a direct listing is just that. It's just you just take all of your existing stock and essentially you use that and say, I'm going to put it on the stock market. Right? And you don't go out and try to sell everyone. You just say, hey, we've got whatever, you know, yeah. a billion shares to sell now. And this and is what Spotify did, right? Yeah, and yep. so the thing, another thing to do is there's no lockup period. So essentially, you're just taking everybody that has a share today. Now, if you will, gets a marketplace to sell it, and they can just go out and sell it the day, any day that they want, and uh, it just provides a liquidity event yeah. for all existing event- investors. And then down the road, if Slack decides to issue a new stock and raise money, well, they can do that. Now, and now, of course, they, 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 mm-hmm. this this is this sounds like one of those things in the the uh, it, it, not financial markets, but in the financial world where where like I hear it. And to make the joke again, it's kind of like Kubernetes, except the opposite, where I'm like, oh, wait, why Why was the current state so featureful when this really simple thing is how I thought stuff was operating from the beginning, right? Because it seems like a traditional IPO, uh, if I remember, you're, you're like, you're like uh, you're all quiet, got stuff going on, and, and then you get these investment bankers who are courting you, and then eventually they're going to figure out pricing, but then they also go to let's say five to 20 big investors who are going to put down money to buy a huge chunk at a specific price on day one. Right. And they have to impress your roadshow. And, uh, and then you open up on day one and there's lockup periods, mostly for employees and other people uh, who, who have it. And uh, then your institutional investors, I think they can dip, typically like sell them whenever they want. And then you have the investment bankers. And then again, it's one of these things where it's like, and, and so what is that, gain you it's sort of like i was reading i've been reading a book on lean accounting and uh because i'm, I'm a thrilling person and and like <laughs> one of the first points they make well one of the points they make over and over again you can tell they're like accountants with a chip on their shoulder is is they're like guys guys we spend a lot of time just collecting these these accounting metrics and doing reports like it's way too much time doing that and we don't really need to do it and it seems like i don't know like you should just say here's the shares buy them right. market it's really weird well, i mean there must be some yeah. reason that hopefully i'll be able to appreciate in my life someday or something but like <laughs> i don't it seems well, weird that you it, wouldn't just do that it, all the time i mean the it allows them to anchor the price for everyone else right if you yeah. if you show up yeah. on, on on ipo day and you say look we already sold 80 percent of the stock to these guys for 
10 bucks a share. Oh, sure. Everyone else isn't, you know, everyone else isn't going to be like, well, I'll pay $4, right? I mean, I, mean, like, I guess well, that's I, true. I, I appreciate right. anchoring. That's, well, I, I think you have to go back in time a little bit, too, because uh, so much of this process is, you know, pre-internet, pre-computers, 1970s. It's like, yeah. okay, so if you're a new company, and let's say your oh, yeah. goal is like, I need new capital. My goal of going public here is to raise another, say, $20 million to build a factory. So, okay, so you have two options. One is you can, like, call around and try to find people to do that. Or in this case, the investment banker, right? They're going to provide us like, hey, we work with all the investors all the time. Like, we know how, you know, we know who they are. We know how they like to work. We get all the paperwork done. And we will go out and help you sell this. Now, imagine in 1970 where it's, like, it's not obvious, like, what all the stocks are coming out and, like, information isn't, like, available all the time everywhere. So I think that was the the value they were providing. It's like, oh, we'll yeah, take that, you that out. Makes we'll introduce those sense. people. But now you flash forward, right? And I think... You know, in the case, and this is why, like, now that two companies, I think other companies have done it too, but like this two most recently, Spotify. Like, I, th- I think in this kind of case, right, it's going to become a lot more common where you're not, if you don't need to raise money, and you have a, a pretty strong brand uh, amongst just the general population or certainly investors, then something like this, like, yeah, you don't really need the whole roadshow, right? And I think that's uh, so. If you, if you, yeah. if you want to be very optimistic about it, it's like. You know, it's been a long process, but the process is working. You know what I mean? Now, suddenly, you don't need this complicated IPO thing. Right. You can actually do it directly. And then maybe down the road, it's like you could go even further, right? I know there's some people like around funding startups. Instead of having venture capital, right, like kind of go fund me and these others are, you know, kind of trying to break into that world, right? The idea is like, hey, that's fine. If you if you, if you want to just fund a private company, you can do that, right? So, so it's yeah. getting, if you will, more and more democratized. It just, you know, takes such a long time. Yeah, no, that yeah. that makes well, sense. I I I, uh, I stand educated. It's it's a typical <laughs> it's a typical uh, pre-internet uh, giga thing like that uh, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like in in yeah. in a sense, it's sort of like um, your investment bankers provide a uh, uh, a lot of actual services. I, mean, I wouldn't say of, of banking services, like doing evaluation, helping you structure things, and figure out all the stuff. But then there's also basically a, a marketing or a PR function that they do. Uh, in in introducing you to these these initial uh, people who will do things and kind of raising awareness, and then I and I think also like the you know anchoring the price on something right like when you open up, I mean God forbid you should have some sort of rational way to price something uh, that you could just figure out on your own as anyone by kind of like you know looking at a balance sheet or something, but you have to come up with some uh, initial price uh, that you open at, and so so that makes sense. That's fun. But yeah, it's also intriguing. I mean, I guess the employees of Slack would be super stoked, uh, especially yeah. the ones that have been there for a while, because they can just like time to retire. Dang, be yeah. rich, be yeah. rich. Right? But I do also, I think it's also worth noting that like the two companies that did this, um, you know, one Spotify music being something like very consumer oriented, lots of people are going to know about it, but Slack has made its way. And I think, you know, whoever writes the case study at Slack, it's not only did it use kind of like this, like, uh, you know, bottoms up kind of uh, user adoption model for like getting its product into enterprises, right? It usually kind of like somebody brought it in and kind of eventually some CIO was like, we got to buy this. Um, you know, I think that kind of interaction is, is what's given it kind of the brand to do this, right? Like so many people probably have interacted at Slack, you know, on their yeah. in their yeah. workplace yeah. that like it's yeah. really well known versus, you know, if you like just build an airplane parts and you're like, I want to do a direct <laughs> listing, you know, it's like, it's going to be hard for like that many people to have exposure. So it's, well, I don't know. I mean, just, there's an interesting case study um, to be written on all of this. And, and the way Slack takes it to the next level is, is from Slack. You can just say slash IPO. 
That's right. <laughs> but no matter what, no matter what they do, you're always going to have like Slack's always going to be the first time you register for Slack. It's going to be like the first time you ever met. No matter how many Slacks you have, it's always like, oh, yeah. oh would you like to join this? Oh, would you like a new yeah. password? And then uh, giving you the tutorial. Oh, it's like, is there anything better than that on your like 15th Slack to see that again? All right. All right. So, so if they are going to IPO. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna add another I'm gonna add this is not a prediction but it's 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 a, I wonder if there's gonna be some clever financial analyst who's gonna be like number of users hold on a minute if they if one person has to create twenty different accounts to log That's into right. twenty different slacks is that one user or twenty users yeah. and we, we gotta we gotta see how that that analysis breaks out there that that'll be that'll be fun to see if they catch that well. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know this, if when you were writing the case study, Brandon, but Slack started off as a game company. Um, yes. and, and they <laughs> yeah, found out yeah. that this is actually, uh, did you know that Twitter used to be a podcasting company? I know. Did you know, uh, Flickr before that was a game company <laughs> as well? I know. I mean, that would be the most awesome thing if someone came, uh, what is a Stuart, Stuart Butter, Butterfield. Yeah. If he came yeah. out and said like, guys, the game company thing just made it up both times. Just thought it was a fun story. <laughs> that there would be no better respect for me than being like, that is a man yeah. that knows the game. That, that, That's a man right, right. that knows the game. Yeah, it's that like, would that would be I'm a, just gonna tell them these people. That right? would be a, a great a great early two thousands like uh like software thing where he's like, Oh yeah, I was totes high as balls then when I made that up. <laughs> Yeah, I was riding my lime scooter and eating my 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 medicinals and yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking ah. speaking of typical <laughs> representatives of of our fair tech work industry in in a good way, Matt Ray. What you know, when yes. people are done with this podcast, what should they immediately go and do? Well, well, you should definitely listen to more podcasts. Um, but if uh, if you're a software defined talk listener. Uh, you know we love tech podcasts, and this week our sponsor is another great tech podcast, Arrested DevOps. The Arrested DevOps podcast will help you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. Arrested DevOps is hosted by Matt Stratton, Trevor Hess, and Bridget Cromot. All the hosts are active in the DevOps community and help uh, organize DevOps days all around the world. So what are you waiting for? Go subscribe today. Uh, by searching for Arrested DevOps in your favorite podcast app or visiting them at www.arresteddevops.com. Yeah, always a nice podcast. I was listening to, uh, I was in the, uh, the the Vomar, Vomir, one of the grocery stores that's not Albert Hein here in uh, in Amsterdam, and there was a suggestion we should do some crossover episode. I don't know what that means, but that sounds like something we should do. That would be fun. Uh, maybe we can we can play each other's parts. Uh, <laughs> roles, uh, as it were. That's my suggestion. I don't know what that means either. Anyhow, uh, we got. We got do we have any uh, exciting feedback or administrative for this episode, Brandon? I uh, just. I just wanted to give a quick uh, shout out to uh, Jeremy, who is uh, teaching the class his students uh, all about technology and DevOps. He actually invited me to speak, and I don't. I don't know. I. I, I have. Whoa. I don't know if I should do it. Where, where is that? Where's that located? It's in, it's in Chicago, and I was just. Uh, of course, you know, um, like any uh, good uh, invitation, you're like, huh? Like, what would you want me? <laughs> what would you want me to speak about? <laughs> so he sent me like a long email, and then I was like, gosh, do I have anything to say? Like, what oh. would I? And they told me he said the students are college seniors, about 22 year olds old and uh, they're about to enter the workforce and i was like 
Man, I have a lot to say, but would I, would I do more <laughs> like, damage? Tell them not to go. Stay in school. Stay in school. So my two thoughts were like, first I felt like I did had nothing to say, and then uh-huh. I read that and I felt like I would probably, I would maybe have too much to say. So this, uh, this, is, this is your shot, uh, Brandon. We we talk about uh, taking our old members only podcast and turning it into yeah. a textbook. Let me correct that. I talk about doing that, uh, in, into finally being <laughs> able to be. To, after you finish your son book, right? Yeah, my 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 aspirations are I'll finally be able to go lecture at ACC. Uh, based on that, <laughs> yes. that's, that's as high. I, I'm reading this, uh, listening to that big old biography of Grant, and at some point he was like, "I think it'd be pretty good if I was the uh, assistant professor of mathematics at West Point." Like that. That's that's how high he was shooting. Uh, anyways, yeah, you know, it's, it's only like a, it's a direct flight on American to Chicago, probably yeah. Southwest too. If you go to the, that weird airport, you you uh, take some money. From the uh, from the the kitty there. From the Samsung, you know, go up there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, I just I appreciate the invite, and I I still need to figure out because I think uh, John Willis. You know, there's a little. He's had he's had several luminaries on mm. there too. So you gotta go like, illuminate. Uh, no. Yeah, I gotta go figure yeah. it out. So I don't know. So it may, yeah, if it, if you uh, if you see like some tweets of just like a guy ranting on for like 90 minutes on the Halo effect, yeah. you'll know I was a joke. <laughs> well, well, listen, listen. <laughs> uh, I I might be. That's how, uh, I might uh-huh. be in Chicago in uh, what's the month after. Uh, oh, February. I might be in Chicago in February. Maybe a swing oh, by man. there. Illuminate. Okay. All right. Well, go say we're generation of students. Yeah. We're gonna uh, we're gonna work it out because if uh, I'll just say this right now, if uh, you invite us to speak, we're gonna find a way to make it happen, one that's way right. or the other. I'll oh, do that. no. That's right. Oh, wow. That's that's the that's the Schaefer rule of uh, talking acceptance. If if you just, invite, just say yes. Come. It's like a vampire. <laughs> Uh, well, no, you only, you only go somewhere if someone asks you to. You don't want to volunteer. Oh, that's so, right. That's a van. Okay. So Got speaking it, speaking of someone asking you to do something, Matt Ray, this week, yes. what is your pick, your recommendation? You got me all screwed up with your pick terminology. It's recommendation. Uh, We've been doing this podcast for like 15 years, right? It's been recommendations oh all the time. And now it's back, picks. Back when we worked at BMC, we used to make them <laughs> picks, but now they're recommendations. <laughs> We're um, grown up. Yeah, we've got three dogs since then. Um, yeah, so so my recommendation is, uh, so I was reading uh, the, the Percy Jackson books with my kids, right? And uh, they're fine. You know, I, that's not my recommendation. Uh, but we went into his other series, and one of them is on Norse mythology. And I was kind of like, what's going on here? This is kind of weird. And, you know, I knew a little bit about, you know, Thor and Odin and Loki, but uh, Neil Gaiman has a book uh, where he kind of wrapped up the Norse mythology for you in a very digestible uh, fashion. Uh, mm-hmm. If you got the Kindle Unlimited, it's, uh, it's, it's in the checkout library. Uh, very entertaining. That stuff is nuts. So uh, go read yourself <laughs> some Norse mythology. Man, the, the, if, if you get the audible version of that, like he reads it, it is fantastic. Oh, he does? Yeah, I think oh. I think I think this has been a pick of mine previously, but never mind. But it's just like, oh, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's so choice, as they used to say. Yeah, like yeah. man, it's so good. And the voice he does for Thor versus Loki, and like, oh, now I gotta it, find that. It adds yeah. a whole other dimension to everything. And and man, those those three dwarfs, what what characters? They're just crazy. <laughs> Sleepy and dopey. No, there's there's uh, like the uh, the dwarves that are played by uh, Tyron Lanning, Lannister or whatever. That in, oh, in, it's in got the like movie. multiple voice actors. Yeah, yeah, but the, just the stories of those dwarves like screwing over everyone is. Uh, I gotta find that. It's, it's good stuff. Anyways, I forget ba- Bander Hogan, Banderhalt. Sure, know. why not? Yeah, and then the thing that always gets me about the Norse stuff. I guess back then it was tough, but you know, Rainbow Bridge. They're just like, sure, we're on the Rainbow Bridge, no problem. But that that's 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 uh, untoughened up from from like Thor pounding on stuff. It's always delightful to see in there. 
how about yourself, Brandon? What do you have to recommend? Yeah, so this week uh, I want to recommend uh, DirecTV. So if you're still uh, tethered to a regular television provider like myself, I installed the Alexa skill on uh, DirecTV. And so now when I'm sitting there, instead of having to even use a remote control, I can just say uh, Alexa, uh, tune in, and then I can either give it the number, the channel, or or the actual uh, name of the network like uh, ESPN or NBC or something, and it works. And I, I was... Uh, I've been impressed with it. Like I just went in, I just gave it my uh, DirecTV credentials, and it, it all seemed to magically work. So, a couple uh, caveats though. After reading uh, some of the reviews, that I think if you were a person that combined your DirecTV account with uh, like AT and T, it sounds like it's not going to work for you. So uh, this has become like a new rule of mine: is like whenever someone wants you to consolidate accounts, don't do it. Wait, wait as long as you humanly can. <laughs> Keep your separate accounts because uh, there was this whole Yahoo, uh, SBC, AT&T. Oh. I got involved in oh, that. And it I was still like, got that. And uh, you can't get out of it. Like you just can't ever, like you can't get your 2FA working again. It just never works. So so now I, I do the opposite is if someone asks me to consolidate an account, I never actually do it. And um, the other one I wanted to, I think, Kote, I think you, you mentioned a little bit about this. Uh, I, as much as I do like it, DirecTV, and I, I think the Alexa is, We've actually used it quite a bit more lately, so it's something I'm enjoying. Um, I will say, I just wish Amazon, the whole idea about like sharing stuff with your spouse uh it's just it's it's just I, I mean it makes me wonder a little bit like is anyone on amazon like really married because like this is how it needs to work it's like once i identify someone as my spouse everything i can do or see they need to be able to do mm. right anytime you introduce any type of limitations it is just such an incredible hassle. So, uh, and I think that's an easy concept to understand. It's like, hey, we're married now. Uh, my spouse is an adult. Like, let them do what they need to do. Uh, because I don't know. I think we were trying to share some stuff on Audible, and that oh, didn't boy. work. And then we yeah. tried to share. Uh, I think I went over last time. I got in this dilemma with like, I can see the Prime videos on my phone um, and download them on the flight, but my wife can't. So oh. it's like that. That's oh. not a help. Right? You're, you're, get, so, you're getting me started. So, I was just dealing with this this morning. <laughs> But go, yeah. Sorry, go on. Go on. Uh, and I, I just, I was finished off. Like, I did admit, I did somehow find out how to do the Audible. I found the setting that allowed me to like to see it on my uh, my device. So like, it took a while. It's in there. But uh, I just, again, I just, just my plea to Amazon and all providers is like, hey, once once you identify someone's a spouse, mm-hmm. just let them do what they mm-hmm. need to do. It'll it'll save us all a lot of time and effort. So L- listen, so listen, you. I have thank some you. I have some follow up on that. Just, just with some, with some experiences. One got a rant here. One, uh, yeah. So, so, so Kim wanted to use my Audible account, or she wanted to, you know, have a share books in there, right? And and yes, I'm, I guess it sounds like you experienced this. It, it's like this Byzantine process. Like, it's possible to give each other access to books. I think we haven't done the last mile. Like, I think she has to log in and actually proactively get the books instead of just seeing them. But I every time I've gone through this, and it doesn't always work, but with with Audible and Kindle books, you can set it up so in your family you can see each, you can see things with with one exception, I think. And uh, every time I go through that, I, I I imagine in my mind there's a quiet room of people, and for like 13 minutes they're reading some papers, and maybe someone farts and they're coughing, and you can hear the papers turning as they get you know to their six pages, and then finally someone's like. Yeah, but if we allow people to automatically see digital assets that one of their spouses purchased, aren't they going to buy less stuff because now they know they don't have to? 
and then and then everyone is like, oh yeah, we've addressed that on page fifty five of the appendix pages, <laughs> and and then they're like, um, well, so and then the boss is like, hi, we work at Amazon, we like to make money, meeting over, don't implement it, and and they just like make it as confusing as possible because it, it's just like <laughs> ridiculous. You got to go in here and like look at the content for this device, and then you've got to like say this person, I want to share this yeah. thing to that yeah. thing, and yes. Uh, but I think there are two possible. And then, and then, and then to tie a bow on the uh, on 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 the the pile of shit, like you you're reading. I should have a screenshot of this, and it's like it's like in the Audible fact it, fact. It's like oh, you can totally share uh, you know your Audible books within your family. Uh, it's awesome. And then it's like note: this does not work for kids. And, and it's just like <laughs> yeah. what? Right. Yeah, no. Well, this leads me to like the the, the meeting because I, I I'm with you. Like I I've been in the meetings. I know we all know about these meetings. They're going on, and I think there are two possible outcomes you could say. One is you're in the meeting and you say, forget it. It's one user, one license, one access. Right. Mm. It's fine. Maybe that's not ideal, but like it's a it's a defensible thing. Hey, everybody needs to listen. Everyone needs to pay for it. We just like if she if. If uh, the family wants music, they all need to sign up. Okay, I got that, right? Yeah, but yeah. as soon as you, the moment, the moment you write Amazon family and you send me emails that explain to me, like, add everyone to the family. And Amazon's not alone here. There's a, there's a, there's a whole Apple family segment we could do, right? But yeah. as soon as you are telling me, just like you, as soon as you say, start adding everyone to, my fam- to your family because it'll be easier – it damn well better be easier because this is the whole thing. As soon as you start to to uh, issue uh, any kids type of limitations, spouses. kids, oh. and stuff, it creates so much family drama. I mean, it, I can't. I mean, who knows how many fights or arguments or passive aggressive behavior has gone oh. on inside of families they, they, over this? They, they know because Alexa's listening. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so my whole point is just just go one or the other because as soon as you go family, yeah, yeah. and I think, and I, hey, all these people are married or have families, generally speaking. So they live this themselves. So the, everyone needs to think of it. You got to go one or the other. Yeah, Don't be yeah. in the middle. Don't make me die. I, 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 I forget what we used to call this. this. I think this is another 90s design thing. Is it, It's kind of like the. Um, uh, the design and product management equivalent of the uncanny valley is it's just like if you implement a feature 75% of the way, it's almost worse than implementing it 0% of the way, which is to say like, you know, you set up the family thing and <clears throat> you want to follow the pragmatic or was this Larry wall? Like, you know, software should work as you expect it to, which is genius insight. Uh, unlike the opposite, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> anyhow, uh, like it's, it just should be like you're saying is like, I buy a thing and everyone in my family can access it through this service. Right. And, and it's just like, they're so close, so very close, uh, to so it. And, close. and then of course the thing that doesn't work, and I assume it's because of licensing is, and this is the one that's most frustrating. Like you're saying, if you buy a movie on one account, one person can't see it in the other. And then. And then they don't even like a, a workaround for that would be well be able to log into multiple accounts to a device and just switch through the accounts. Can you do that? Nope. Like anyways, but uh, it is. I think I think just to close off the ranting, it is worth looking at. I think I think in Google Photos and in Netflix they do a pretty good job of doing this. Netflix kind of falls down on its face because I don't know. It's it's it's. They didn't really fall down on their face, but like you can set up profiles in Netflix and therefore yeah. you're cool with it. Now, their parental controls are a little weird. They're not as sophisticated as I think it would be easy to make them, uh, but that's fine. And then and then in Google Photos, I don't think it's even a family thing, but you can basically say, I want to share my photo album with this other person. They get to see everything. And 
it doesn't integrate it into your album, which it'd be interesting if it did that, but you can just go look at their photos. And like all things in Google Photos, it's fantastic. It's like the best design software there is nowadays. It just does exactly what you expect it to, works really well. Maybe it's telling Russians who you're going to vote for in the next election. I don't know, but it's it's a good piece but of software. But it works. It works. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so my my recommendations, I have two recommendations this week uh, other than the the um Neil Gaiman reading Norse mythology. So, I finished uh I finished reading uh this book Peak. It's got some sub uh, semicolon long title after it. But my understanding is it's basically written by the person who uh, who Malcolm Gladwell based his 10,000-hour rule thing on, someone who's academically studied uh, peak reformers and things like that. Now, now this, this book has the classic thing we complain about with a business book. It's like would have been a good HBR article, right, or, <laughs> or, or a very thorough review in Goodreads. Like nowadays I look in Goodreads a lot, and there's pretty good reviews in that. Now that said— I've I've been teaching myself, speaking of teaching yourself as the book goes over, like this new reading method. Uh, I, I remember I might have gone over this before, but I remember Tyler Cohen uh, was interviewing Ben Thompson and they're talking about books. And Ben Thompson was like, I don't really like I wouldn't say I read books like and he didn't spell it out this way. But I think what he was saying is he just uses books as a tool to get information and it made me think, like, maybe you could just skim these books instead of, like, reading word for word. And so especially if you've got that vertical scrolling in uh, in a Kindle, you can get a book like Peak. And basically you can scroll for, like, anywhere between 30 to 120 seconds. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is another story about a chess player. Yep, here's the story about the dude who can remember numbers. And then, like, here's the story about when I met my co-author. And you can just scroll past all of that. And then you pretty easily get to the uh, the major points, which are interesting. Which you would think maybe a summary would be better. But there is a certain uh, – is efficacy the right word? There's a certain effectiveness to, like, oh, I see this is backed up with stories and anecdotes. I just don't care about them. But uh, it's, a, it's a good book. It, like, it gives this idea of, like, if you want to learn to do things better, one, you need to have, like, they call it, like, a model, but a representation of what it is. Like, what, is, what does it look like to be a good swimmer? Or what does it look like creative stuff doesn't work very well to, like, write a good poem? Like, what is the form of that thing? And then you just do uh, focused exercises or practices where you spend, like, 30 minutes working on it and trying, trying to get better at it, just practicing. It's good to have a coach. And then I think, I think the part that... Uh, that like maybe is different than rote memorization and stuff is like you you constantly give yourself a feedback loop to figure out what you're doing wrong and how to improve it, which I think is different than a lot of the education I had, which was you're doing that wrong. And that, that was the feedback <laughs> that I got. So there, there's not like this idea of improving it and focusing on it. Anyways, I mean, it has a lot of flaws, not least of which is it's basically about people who play chess, memorize numbers and are athletes. And I'm not sure it's going to make you, like, a better manager, uh, programmer, or, like, creative type. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's all right. It's pretty good. Uh, and then also, finally, uh, when you don't want to take things so seriously, my, my wife Kim introduced me to this show on Netflix called Dairy Girls, which uh, it's, it's great. It's, it's, uh, it's very funny. You should just watch it. It's a good show, uh, especially how much they pick on the English guy. That's, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm going to be at a bunch of conferences. We got a bunch of spring tours coming up this year. I'm going to be in Charlotte in a couple of weeks and, uh, I'm going to be in St. Louis middle February around February 12th. That's why I might be in Chicago. Uh, if you want to see all the spring tours, they're all over the U S and uh, Europe. 
in Asia, Australia as well, all places. Uh, and uh, but there's there's basically uh, if you go to the show notes at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash one sixty two, there's a discount code that'll basically give you fifty dollars or fifty pounds off or uh, whatever denomination you're in registration for it should cost you like 100 of whatever uh units of currency you're using if you use that code but they're all over the place and uh you should you should check that out and i think there's some other stuff that'll be at but you can check that there and as always if uh if you deign to leave us a review in itunes and uh you send it along to brandon we'll we'll uh if we have any shirts left we'll we'll try to get one to you we have some shirts left right we do large and extra large gray that's your choices. That's right. So, so if those sizes don't fit, either uh, order a bunch of pizzas or eat some salad. And, uh, you know, you can go up or down depending on, on where you need to be to fit into those shirts. Uh, and also, we'll, he'll send you stickers if you email your mailing address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And you should join us on our Slack channel. We got an Instagram account. It's very fun. Go to the, 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 uh, the show notes for all that. So anyways, this has been another exciting episode of SoftwareDefinedTalk.com. Uh, as mentioned, uh, you should go check out the interview show we have at SoftwareDefinedInterviews.com. It was, it was fun talking about version control. I got to be like, uh, basically, I don't know what's happened in version control since 2005, so can you catch me up? And uh, there, there's a good tour through that and, and explanation of how, uh, you know, doing the distributed version control stuff is different than um, centralized. I don't know what the opposite of distributed is, hoarded. Uh, but you should check that out in addition to all sorts of other things. And uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.